you. Amen. <clears throat> Titus chapter 2 again this evening, please. And let's go ahead and stand. Titus chapter number 2. And verses 1 through 5 are our passage for this evening. God speaks to Paul who writes to Titus, But speak thou the things which become sound doctrine, that the aged men be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, in charity, in patience, the aged women likewise, that they be in behavior, as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. And let's pray. Well, Father, we have your words, and so therefore we have your will. And then help us to think about to think about the implications of your will for us and to live it so that we would not in any way bring reproach upon you or the Bible. And I pray this for us in Jesus' name. Amen. Excuse me. Excuse me. The changing of the seasons and hour-long choir practice and Somebody said, are you going to give us back some of the time you took this morning? Probably, perhaps so this evening, although who knows. Well, last week we just kind of surveyed what to us is chapter number two. One of the things that God wants from us are good works. And not good works so much as we define them, but good works as he defines them. And good works are the product of good thinking. And so God is very concerned that we think properly. Now to the world, we're nuts. I mean, we're we're people. God, to believe in Christ, to believe in hell, to believe in heaven, to believe in an afterlife. I still remember years and years ago when I was in college, and was working at the prison, was talking to a guy. We'd, we'd, some of us had talked to him and tried to witness one of the officers and had tried to talk to him about the Lord. And he was working in a cell house, and I was working outside the cell house. And we were just kind of talking. And, and part of his objection was that Christianity is no fun. <clears throat> and that if you become a Christian... You go to church and you sing Christian music, but you don't really get to have any fun in the world. And there was another officer there who was not a believer. And 
we were, he and I were working together, and he interrupted. He said to this guy, he said, no, no, you don't understand. He said, my grandmother is one of those people. They really think that stuff's fun. And <clears throat> I don't know that I've ever thought that going to church is fun, but we are certainly oriented differently in this world as to what matters. And if our works are going to be right, it is because our thinking is going to be right. And if our thinking is going to be right, it's going to have to be informed by the Lord. He's going to have to tell us how to think. And we're going to have to develop, through His grace and His power, the, the habit of thinking like He thinks. Many of the good works that God wants for us are things that would be really considered almost ordinary things. Every once in a while, God has a, has a use for and enables His people to do something that appears to be spectacular, but for the most part, God just wants His people to do the kinds of things that are listed in a chapter like Titus chapter 2. These are the good works that he has in mind. So tonight, I just want to take a little bit of time and turn our attention to the first group. This is something that Paul has done in the pastorals. He has tended to talk to the churches kind of through age groupings. And he begins here, as he did in Timothy, with the aged. And so this evening I want to take our time and talk to you about sound doctrine for senior saints. Speak the things that become sound doctrine men, aged women. Which immediately raises a question. <clears throat> At what point do you become aged? Well, you can join the AARP at age 50. And in those kinds of organizations and associations, a senior citizen is starts somewhere around 50. And of course, in many places, age 55 qualifies you as being a senior. And certainly, age 65 qualifies you in America as being a senior. But Paul doesn't really give an age designation. He doesn't tell us what he means by this. In other words, to go to verse number 2, the aged men, and in verse number 3, the aged women. Now we could talk about the fact that in Paul's world, culturally, 60 was considered to be aged. That at that point in time, you were to them what would be a senior citizen. And we could note that Paul does use the age of 60 when it comes to widows. That widows, before they are subsidized with church offering money, have to be at least age 60. But let me just suggest to you tonight, or let me just tell you that this is going to be the position that I will take not only this evening, but in the week to come, next week, next week. 
is that what Paul is getting at is more governed by situation and circumstance than by calendar. In other words, Paul seems to be orienting his thoughts in two ways. Right? He's got aged men, okay? And then in verse number 4, he's got, or verse number 5, he's got young men. And in verse number 3, he's got aged women. And in verse number 4, he's got young women. And he doesn't go, now, when you're, if your birthday falls before this day this year, that's you. But rather, division is this. Do you have children at home? Because that's the way that he talks. Now, I'm not, I wouldn't be dogmatic about it. I'm just saying that when Paul talks to the aged men, and specifically when he talks to the aged women, that one of the things the aged women are to do is to be able to instruct the younger women to love their husbands and love their, or to be obedient to their husbands and to love their children. So that at some level, your age is more a function of your position in life than it is any date on the calendar. So for those of you whose children are grown, this sermon is primarily directed at you. For those of you who don't yet have children or whose children are not yet grown, this sermon is less directed at you, but since the likelihood is that you will become those people someday, this is also for you. So let's just begin. We're, gonna, we're just going to do two, really two things tonight in general. We're going to look at what the text says explicitly, and then we're going to think of a couple of the implications that come from it. So Titus, in verse number one, is to speak. His, the orientation of his public ministry is to revolve around things that are suitable to sound or healthy doctrine. And to that extent, then, <clears throat> what is the goal of this? If we look at verse number one and we ask, okay, this is what Titus is to do. What is he after when he does it? What is the goal, then, of his public pulpit ministry? Or for that matter, his private counseling ministry? What is it that we hope he will accomplish? God begins, first of all, by talking to the aged men. That they be sober. That they be sober. The original meaning of the word, and I, I think I created a little more confusion than I should have last week by talking about this. This is, a, this is a common theme in Paul, and part of the issue that we face, folks, is that our translators sometimes use different words in the English to describe the same word in the Greek language. The original meaning of the word sober is to mean unmixed with wine. Which is why to us sober primarily is set in opposition to drunkenness. Somebody has too much to drink. Somebody who doesn't have anything to drink. It then came to be used to describe somebody who was a teetotaler. And then it became used by extension to describe somebody who was in their right mind. Who could think clearly and properly. 
Because even in the day of limited knowledge that Paul had, his world knew that when people drank too much alcohol, they lost their faculty for reasoning properly. And so the word came to be used to describe people who were clear-headed, right-minded, in control of themselves, aware of their surroundings, attentive to what is going on. So the aged men, those of you, right, you gentlemen specifically, those of you whose children are raised, whose children have now perhaps are raising children of their own and living on their own, you are to be sober, clear-headed, in your right mind, not giving to impulsiveness. You are to be grave. The aged men are to be sober and they are to be grave. And the idea there is really the idea of being somewhat dignified. Now, not stuffy, not pompous, but dignified, not a goofball. Not a goofball. Oriented to those things that are good and noble. Someone for whom garnering respect is reasonable, right? They are respectable. And they are to be temperate. The aged men are to be sober, they are to be grave, they are to be temperate. And this is another one of those words because sometimes the same Greek word is translated with sober. Here the idea is temperate, in one's right mind. One commentator says it's the kind of mind that produces dignified sobriety. Now grammatically, these three words, sober, grave, temperate, are adjectives. They are describing the kind of man. What kind of man should an aged man be? This is what he should be. He should be sober and grave and temperate. And then, Paul continues, he is to be sound in faith. And that word sound means in good health. And here now it is a verb. Because it is describing, I think, the practice that he has. With reference to the man's character, to the man's character. How would you describe a good, solid, aged Christian man? Well, he should be sober, and he should be dignified, and he should be temperate. And when it comes to his practice, he should be healthy, he should have healthy practices. That's what the idea of sound is, of good health. His practices are healthy. What practices? Well, the way he practices his faith. And I don't think here we, you know, we go back and forth and you get out all the commentaries and you could read all the debates about it. But I don't think that he is, we're talking about simply about a man who is healthy in his doctrinal statement, but who is healthy in his doctrinal practice. He is a man who is endeavoring to live a life that is pleasing to the Lord, 
that his faith is healthy. That his faith is not shriveled and sickly. And that he is healthy in his love, in his charity. The way that he loves is healthy. He is of good health in love. And of course, without going all through it, this is not love as the world defines it. This is love as God defines it. He is seeking the glory of God and the good of men. And that he is healthy in his patience. That he has a track record of endurance. Of reliability. Of dependability. This is God's goal for aged saints. For elderly men. And women are the same thing. Right? For those ladies, for those of you ladies in that position, the same thing holds true for you. Verse number three, the aged women likewise. Because remember, although we do clearly, radically differ in function, we do not differ in essence. We are image bearers and servants of the Most High God. And so ladies, this is for you. The aged women likewise, that they be in behavior. This is another word that describes their character. To us, behavior is how they conduct themselves. But the root of the word is their condition, that they be in condition. To the Romans, this was a word that was used to describe somebody relative to the pagan temple. Are they rightly oriented to the temple? So then this is their character with a broad brush. That they should be as becometh holiness. That there should be a sobriety. A restraint. That there should be a dignity. By the way, something I would argue that we have tremendously lost in our youth-driven culture with, I mean, it's one thing to, to get old, folks. It's another thing to be old and injecting yourself with drugs so that you look young. You don't. And there's a lot more to being dignified than that, but There's just very little, I think, more ridiculous than 50 and 60-year-old women trying to look like 15 and 16-year-old girls. Dignified. Worthy of respect. Temperate. And then Paul goes on to talk about their practice. Right? Just like he talks about the practice of the men. Healthy in faith, healthy in love, healthy in endurance. All right, let's talk about the ladies' conduct. Not false accusers. Not that there's anything permissible about men being false accusers. 
Not false accusers. The idea there is slanderers. The idea is spreading lies about people, things that are not true. Not given to much wine. Teachers of good things. And we will come to that. The word teacher there does mean instructors, that they are capable of instructing in good. And then in verse number 4, there is a specific audience that God has in mind. We'll come to that. So here are things that God explicitly says to those of us, because I'm in that condition now in my life, to those of us who are on the elderly side, the aged side. To those of us who are the Presbyterians, not by doctrine, but by biblical reality, the elders. That we are to conduct ourselves both with our character and our practice in a way that is accordance with godliness. And again, folks, these are the kind of things that God has in mind when he talks about good works. Now let's turn our attention then to some of the things that are implied in these kinds of statements. I mean, we could just, we could, we could just close our Bibles right now and go, we're done. We've, We've exhausted the subject matter for this evening. But I think that we could probably be benefited by turning a little bit of our energy and exercise to some of the things that are implied in talking to us that way. For instance, if God has to teach me these things, then they probably do not come naturally to me. Titus, speak the things that become sound doctrine, that the aged men be sober, temperate, or sober, grave, temperate. If I have to be taught those things, then I probably am not going to be those things naturally, am I? There are some things, of course, that are just natural to aging, the graying of our hair, the wrinkling of our skin, the slowing down of our energy. Those just happen to us. But we don't just default. We used to have the lady that played the organ in our home church was very petite. She was very petite and she could be a firecracker. And somebody said something to her one time about becoming a sweet little old lady. And she said, little, probably beyond any doubt. Old, I hope, and sweet is a lot of work. In other words, folks, if God has to tell me to be temperate, to restrain myself, then it only stands to reason that I don't become that way automatically. That I don't just default 
into becoming restrained. That my impulsiveness does not simply go away because my hair is And if God has to tell me to live in such a way to be dignified and worthy of respect, then it is entirely possible that, it's, that there are going to be old men who are just simply unrespectable. They are crabby and contentious and cantankerous and mean-spirited and petty. And if God has to teach me to be sensible then it is not true that being old automatically makes one wise. And in fact, God himself has said that explicitly. Great men are not always wise. Now this doesn't stop some of us, and perhaps this is part of what God is trying to correct, it doesn't stop some of us from thinking that simply by virtue of being old, we are worthy of respect. Our elderliness has been the time that God has given us to learn to be worthy of respect, not to demand it by virtue of age. And if I'm being told with reference to my practice, to if I can summarize it in my sentence, maintain healthy Christian practices... To not just believe certain things, to put, but to put them into use, faith. And to love biblically. And to endure faithfully. Then this must have some bearing upon the common American doctrine that at some point in time, You get to walk away not only from your job, but all of your Christian obligations and commitments so that you can live out the rest of your days enjoying me time. And I appreciate the fact that I am preaching to a number of people of whom that is not true, and thank you for that. But I've been stunned at the number of people that have talked to me, not not you, not any of you, but people who have talked to me about retirement as my opportunity to live selfishly. That I've actually reached a place in life where I deserve this, to live for myself. And, 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 and I would just respond to that in two ways. I don't believe that we ever get entitled to live selfishly for our own selves. In fact, one of the reasons God saved us, Paul says in Second Corinthians, is that we would stop living for ourselves but live for him that died for us. But with reference to our own lives, I just for the life of me cannot put that together with reference to the life that we have lived. I mean, we have traveled widely and we have enjoyed life. It's not like we have drudged through 40 years of pastoral ministry so that now we can have a little bit of fun. We've had lots of fun all along the way. But certainly, folks, it seems that one of the perils of our elderliness in America 
is that we have been indoctrinated with this idea that we are approaching a place where we answer to no one and are responsible for nothing. And yet the Lord says now, right? The Lord doesn't say, now now you elderly, what I really want you guys to do is go sit in the foyer because I don't really have anything to say to you. You've served your purpose. You've done your task. I'm putting you out to pasture with my blessing. Go. But rather, God says to those that are elderly, and he will say it specifically with reference to the ladies, to live in such a way that your godliness is perpetuated in the younger generation. If a lady, if an elderly lady, is given this kind of set of instructions that are found in verse number 3, that isn't it possible that God just might have his finger on this reality? That ladies might be tempted to succumb to these temptations? That in that period of time, and this is particularly true in Paul's world, their children are grown, their responsibilities are diminished. They have more time than they used to have to spend that time poorly, to spend that time drinking and gossiping. Is that not the possibility? These are the prohibitions. Don't become a gossip. Don't spend too much time at the bottle. And by the way, I looked this up, and of course you can find anything that you want on the internet. The numbers varied. The most consistent number that I came across is that anti-aging is a $60 billion a year industry. that we spend to try and get and look younger. And it's, of course, not, not confined to the ladies. That we spend all of this time and all of this money and all of this energy trying to be younger than we actually are. So isn't it possible that even though they're believing women and they have raised their children and cared for their homes, that they will be pulled by the lure of worldliness, that they will become slanderers, that they will become heavy drinkers. In other words, that rather than use their age for something that is good, they will while away their days in idleness and debauchery. And I just point those things out, folks, because we want to remember that God doesn't just simply write in a vacuum. God doesn't write verses in the Bible that have footnotes that go... Now, I realize this would probably never happen to anybody, but in the off chance that it did, here's what to do. Instead, what we find, particularly in the New Testament letters, are that God sends Paul or Peter or one of his other writers, Jude or John, into a real-life firefight, so to speak, and says, now here, bring Bible doctrine to 
real-time situations. So that we're not stretching the Bible in any way or our minds in any way to think that these things are really happening in the churches in Crete. Which brings me then to this. Right? Broadly, implication number one is that we, even though we are aged, aged men and aged women, and even though we have lots of experience in life, and even though we've been around the block a couple of times, and we've discharged our duties, and we've raised our children, we are not immune from worldly temptations and character flaws. And so we are not given the free ride. And implication number two is that God relies heavily upon the lives and ministries of seniors to keep Christianity going. Which again is another thing that is somewhat unpopular in many dimensions of the modern American Bible-believing church. For instance, folks, to look at verse 3 and 4 and whatever the methodology is, and we'll explore this a little bit next week, what does Paul have in mind when he tells Timothy to teach the elderly ladies to do something so that they might teach the younger ladies? Whatever the methodology for that is, the implication of that is very clear. Is that God is relying upon the ministry of the seniors to influence those that are junior and not vice versa. And that God is therefore relying upon the ministry of the elder men to influence the lives of the younger men and not vice versa. Now the structure is different when it comes to men. But Paul is getting to the same point when we get there in Titus 2, 6, and 7. So that the ministry of senior men doesn't exist in a vacuum either. They are to have a real life ministry to the younger men. Here's what we've learned. Here's what we know. Here are the mistakes that we made. Here are the things that we've learned. Here's what you should do. And the same thing is true of the elderly women. Here's what we've learned. Here's what we know. Here are the mistakes that we've made. Here's what God has taught us in the time that he has allowed us to live that you have not yet lived. God's not a fool. He doesn't think for a moment that every elderly person is on target. But neither does he believe that only the youth are on target. And neither does he believe that the only way to propagate his ministry is with the energy of the youth. And thank God for the energy of the youth. But folks, if all we have is youthful zeal, then all we have is something that will not endure. Or as Solomon once wrote, favor is deceitful and beauty is vain. They are fleeting and fading. But to give one's life 
to the cultivation of godliness is enduring and of benefit not only to the person who does it, but to those who also have an ambition to be godly. This is the point. So to those of you who are seniors, and again, I would define that by not so much your age, but by your station in life. Right? God needs you. He has a ministry for you to fulfill. Let's pray. Father, again, I pray that you would teach us your word and give to us hearts that are inclined to it. I thank you for faithful saints who have served you over the years, who have raised their children, who have lived out their marriages, who have brought the Bible to bear on their life's situations. May we all value them and treasure them and love them. I pray this for us in Jesus' name. Amen.